down, there was a moment in time in human history where sin was so prevalent that, that God said, you know, it's all people are thinking about, and it looked for a moment like God didn't even know exactly what to do. But God rose up a man by the name of Noah who built an ark, and that giant ship illustrated for us that God always has a plan. In our last study, we talked about an occasion where Jesus Christ was on board a vessel with the disciples and a storm came up and and eventually at the spoken word of Jesus, the storm subsided. But for a moment in time, the disciples were were afraid and they wondered even if the Lord cared for them. They asked Him that and, and we learned in that narrative that God has great power. His power is greater than any storm you will ever go through in your life. But I want us today to see that God can use an occasion during a stormy time in our lives to purify us, to refine us, to make us more like Him. And that, I believe, to a large degree, is the story of the man that we're going to study today in a book that bears his name, a man by the name of Jonah. Now, maybe you've heard of Jonah. The Bible accounting tells us he was swallowed by a great fish and spent three days inside the belly of that fish. And for that reason, many people have heard that story and come to the conclusion that can't possibly be true. And some have said, therefore, the Bible's not true. Or others have had maybe a more moderate view. They've said, well, uh, that just must be an allegory or it must be a story that's painting a picture of some kind for that really uh, cannot have possibly have happened. That's over the top. That, that's that's. That's just too bizarre even for words. I I can't believe that. Well, let me tell you uh, just some things as we get started today. First of all, I believe in a God who can do over-the-top miraculous things. And if it was God's will for someone to get swallowed by a fish and spend three days inside of that fish, I would say that it could happen. And furthermore, I want to say that is exactly what I believe happened in the text that we're studying today. Now, I believe that because that's the way the narrative of the passage here goes. It's telling an event, uh, uh, an occasion, something that happened. But I also believe the biblical accounting of the life of Jonah because Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, referenced it himself in the New Testament. I want you to listen to the words that, that Jesus had to say. In Matthew 12 and verse 40, Jesus said, For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, the Son of Man, that was Jesus' favorite title for himself. He most often referred to himself as the Son of Man than anything else. And and Jesus said, you know, I'm going to die on the cross, and and for three days and three nights, I'm going to be in the heart of the earth. I'm going to be in a tomb. And he said, you know, like Jonah, who was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, he speaks of it as, as a matter of fact get some of the inside of the background of this text, I want to share a few things today. If you promise to give me just a few minutes here to get some background, say amen. All right, the nation of Israel, they wanted a king, so God gave him one. His name was Saul. Saul did really good in the beginning. He was very humble, but then he got lifted up in pride, and he didn't do so good. And uh, the the thing that will bring us down faster than anything else is getting puffed up, full of ourselves, full of pride. That's what Saul did. And and so his reign came to an end, and, and God brought a great king really the definitive king in the nation of Israel, a king by the name of David. David had a great reign. His son Solomon came, and Solomon did some great things. He built the temple, but he had a heart that strayed away from God, and and, uh, he did some things that weren't wrong, and that always has an impact. But parents, we need to be very careful because when we walk far from God, our kids many times take it a step further. After Solomon's reign, we know that there was a son by the name of Rehoboam, and he came to the throne, and and uh, he got some bad advice, and really he decided, man, when it comes to taxes, I'm just going to stick it to the people. 
And that's what he did. And most working people kind of resent being overtaxed, especially for frivolous reasons. And that's what the perception was. And that led to a breakdown in the kingdom, and the kingdom fractured right down the middle. So now there's a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. In the northern kingdom that was comprised basically of 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel, there was a king that was established by the name of Jeroboam. He served 41 years. And Jeroboam was not a man that had a heart for God. In fact, he created a whole false system of worship uh, in the northern part of the kingdom to prevent people traveling to the south to worship. And, and really, this guy was pretty full of himself as well. But we know of Jeroboam and we know of his reign. Now, I want to share a verse with you to help us begin to put some things in place for our study today. In 2 Kings 14, 25, during the reign of Jeroboam, the Bible says he restored the coast of Israel from the entering of Hamath unto the sea of the plain, according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he spake by the hand of his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai. Now, I want you to notice with me how our passage of Scripture begins. I want you to look with me in Jonah chapter 1. Here's how the book of Jonah begins. Now, the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai. And so I wanted to link together, if I could today, Jonah and this king Jeroboam. Because during the time of Jeroboam, we know that Jonah was not the only prophet of God, the only one who, who was serving the Lord in that way, in a special way. There was another prophet at this time, a prophet by the name of Amos. How well he knew Jonah, I'm not sure, but they were ministering in the same general time, general region, and Amos was a man like Jonah who was to help people understand what it was that God was saying. Listen to what Amos was saying in the day. He said, Behold, I'll raise up against you a nation. Now think of that. Amos' prophecy is this from God. A nation's going to come up. A nation. O house of Israel, saith the Lord, the God of hosts, and they, that nation, they're going to afflict you. They're going to afflict you. So Amos, his prophecy was this. A nation's coming up, and they're taking you down. And they're going to afflict you. Now this nation, as Scripture would go on to explain, was a nation called Assyria. They were a rough group of people. And Assyria had a capital. Their capital city was the city of Nineveh. And so here we are in this day. Jeroboam's the king. We've got Amos telling everybody in the land who will listen, God's raising up a nation to judge you. And the name of that nation is Assyria. And then we look in, in Jonah chapter 1 and verse 2. And God says to, Nona, uh, to Jonah, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. So Jonah knows what's going on. He knows God's raising up a country, Assyria. And he knows of their, of their amazing, well-known capital city of Nineveh. And he knows how horrible it's going to be for his people. And the voice of God comes to Jonah and says, I want you to go to Nineveh. And in Jonah's heart, he's thinking, yeah, no. I don't want to do that. I don't like the Assyrians. I don't like Nineveh. There's maybe some things to suggest that they'd already done some horrible things to his family. And, and whatever the case was, he came to the conclusion, I'm not going to do anything to help these people that have dedicated themselves to hurting my people. And God said, arise and go to Nineveh. And yet the Bible tells us that, that Jonah arose and went down to Joppa. He went down to a place, modern-day Tel Aviv is where he went, and God basically said, Jonah, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go about 500 miles to the east. And Jonah did everything in his power to go about 2,000 miles to the west to a city called Tarshish, which really, as far as people were concerned at that day and time, it was the edge of the world. Jonah said, God, here's what I'm going to do. I know what your will for my life is, but I'm going to run as far away from you 
as they possibly can. He gets on a boat and an enormous storm blows in. In time, they begin to figure out that there's something going on here. And, and after a conversation, Jonah confides in them, hey, this whole storm, guys, telling the sailors, it's because I'm running from God. And he said, what you need to do is you need to throw me over. And they took him up on it. Well, he hits the water, and he's thinking, man, it's all done, and it was just getting started. Great fish comes up and swallows Jonah. It was amazing. And God taught him some great lessons that I really need today. And you do too. And if you're able this morning, I'd like to invite you to join me in standing as we look at God's Word together. Jonah chapter 1, and we studied Jonah chapter 1 maybe a year, year and a half ago, something like that. And we actually finished our study in chapter 1. And today we're going to begin in the last verse of chapter 1 and make our way into chapter 2. If you keep coming to Coastline for the next 84 years at this rate, we'll finish the whole book together, okay? We'll just cover a few verses at a time every couple years or so. Jonah 1 and verse 17 says this, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly said I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord and I'm going to read on but isn't it interesting Amos prophesied and said hey God's going to raise up a country to judge you and they're going to afflict you you remember that a moment ago and yet here's Jonah running from God and, and kind of welcomed affliction into his life nonetheless he cried by reason of his affliction unto the Lord and he heard me Jonah said out of the belly of hell cried I and thou heardest my voice for thou hadst cast me into the deep, in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about, and thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. The waters compassed me about, even to the soul. The death closed me around about, and the weeds were wrapped about my head. You, you can just imagine, there he is, and the seaweed, and, and how horrible that had to have been. Verse 6, I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption. O oh Lord my God, aren't you glad for God who can bring our lives up from corruption? Verse 7, when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came in unto thee. Into thine holy temple. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy, but I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed, salvations of the Lord. And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. If you would please go back to verse 17 in chapter 1 with me. And near the end of that verse, there's a statement that to me really serves as a great statement to build our, our study today around. And, and the statement says this, in the belly of the fish. In the belly of the fish. And, and I want us to think on this together today. Our Father, thank you that when we open the Bible, we can have an absolute certainty that we're, we're reading your word, not just a book that contains your words, but a book that you've preserved for us. And we're grateful to have the real-life accounting of a man named Jonah so that we can learn what he learned. And Lord, a lot of what we learn in life seems to be the difficulty we go through, but... I pray today we can learn from the difficulties that he went through. 
bless this time, help each person here, and may all of us today as a result of this study take a, a look within and make the decision that's most appropriate. I love you, Jesus. Be pleased with this time I ask in your name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Shortly after I turned 16 years old, I asked my dad if I could take my brand new driver's license, three of my best friends, and uh, a truck that I'd been working on to Colorado to go camping and fishing. And I have to tell you, I was really surprised when he agreed to let me go. He gave me three stipulations as I went. He said, first of all, behave yourself. Uh, second of all, stop and see your grandparents. My grandparents, uh, uh, my grandmother is still living. My granddad's in heaven, but they were living in, in southwest Colorado, and we'd pass through that way where we were heading. And and uh, he said, finally, Stephen, don't go up to the high country. And uh, there's a place I like to camp and fish. It's called Burrow Bridge, and a bunch of the guys in our church have been there with me some several times. We've, we've been there many times camping uh, for men's uh, retreats and so forth. But uh, he said, don't go up that high. That was the stipulations. Uh, behave yourself, visit your grandparents, and don't go up to the high country. Don't go up to Burrow Bridge where you like to, where you like to camp and where you like to fish. Well... Uh, I, I did my best with some success to listen to what it is he told me to do, but I can't say I got it all exactly right because when we pulled to the base of the mountains in that spring day, it was just warmer than normal, and I thought, good night, there's not a chance of snow. This is just a great day. And we made our way up to Burrow Bridge, getting into the mountains, and put the truck in park, and it was almost at that exact moment the first snowflake fell. Okay. And we managed to laugh that snowflake off, really, come on. And, and if it did, it did snow a little bit, just the dusting wouldn't hurt anything. And I want you to know, when we opened the tent the next morning, the entire world around us had turned white. And not just a little bit of snow. I mean, it was up to the bumper. In fact, this is no joke. For three days, we couldn't get that vehicle to move. There was nothing we could do. We dug. We did everything. We were just really buried in kind of a lower spot, and, and it was not a good situation. Now, as I spent the next three days sitting in that tent, I had a lot of thoughts. One thought I had is, you know, maybe my dad's smarter than I thought he was, okay? And maybe he knows a few more things. And, and uh, I, I began to think through that, and I came to this conclusion. Had I known how things would have ended up, I would have done some things differently along the way. That's what I thought. And I, I, I really would have listened to my, my dad had I known where this mess was going. I'm not saying today I know exactly how Jonah felt. But I am saying today that I think all of us, in one degree or another, know what it's like in life to make some dumb decisions. We, we didn't do as good as we knew to do. And we put ourselves in a, in a position that really brought some unnecessary affliction, to use the Bible word, into our lives. Because of decisions we made, we placed ourselves in the belly of the fish. We're going to find that Jonah learned some things, and, and these are things we all need to learn. If, if you don't have your notebook with you today, I hope you do. I hope you'll write on the back of a bulletin. We need to figure out what Jonah learned during this time. And the first element I see that Jonah learned is he learned that God is always there. Now we find in the end of chapter 1, Jonah gets swallowed by this great fish, but let's see how chapter 2 begins. The Bible says this, then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly. Now, I think it's great, then he prayed. How many of you think that's a good time to pray when you get swallowed by a big fish, okay? Note to self, that's a good time to pray. But I think there's a key word in this verse, and as I read this verse, I love the fact that Jonah this rebellious prophet, this one who's running from God, Jonah is here, and he's praying unto the Lord, his God. 
there was still an awareness of a connection, of a relationship. And although his behavior would not have revealed that he placed a premium on his relationship with God, in the midst of this struggle, he discovered that there was nothing that could be done that would separate him from God. He ran and ran, but he discovered wherever he went, God was already there. I like how the psalmist says this in Psalm 139. He said, whether shall I go from thy spirit or whether shall I flee from thy presence? If I send up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall follow me. Friends, I'm saying today I would recommend that you live a life that follows very closely to God the Father. But if your life happens to lead you to Burrow Bridge or in the belly of a great fish, you need to know something. That's a great time to pray, and when you do, God will hear you. Jonah had to come to learn this for himself. I like the way 1 John chapter 2 puts it. And uh, I think it's pretty succinct. My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop right here. My little children, this, this was not a letter necessarily written to exclusively children. That was a term of endearment. It was written to people of faith, believers, Christians. And, and the message of the letter was basically this. Sin not. Don't sin. Don't, don't do bad. Only do what God tells you to do. Sin not. And if any man sin, we have an ad- advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. The message essentially, don't sin. But when you do, know that Christ is with you. I think this was a lesson that Jonah needed to learn. He was, he was uh, a, a believer. We would use that uh, analogy or that word rather. He was a man of faith. He was a man that knew God. He was a spokesperson for God. A preacher maybe would be the word we would use. But he literally tried to run away from the Lord. And I'm sure he thought there was a chance of success in all his rebellion and all his willful disobedience. He learned that his way was the wrong way. And the Bible tells us Jonah prayed unto the Lord, his God. He learned that God is always there. But I want you to see that in in verse 2, we're going to find he learned that God uses our affliction. Our affliction. Now, let's look at verse 2 again together. He said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord. And he heard me. Now, what made him cry to the Lord who heard him? Affliction. Ironically, the thing apparently he was trying to avoid... Affliction led him to God. Affliction. Did you know that sometimes those things in our life that we would classify as bad things are actually great things? Aren't you glad today that there's a God that can hear us? Even when we're in a mess of our own making? Now, I, I, I would hope, I would hope that, that if I were a total victim in a situation and I, I were put in a situation totally not of my doing, that God would say, that's not fair and that's not just, therefore I'll intervene on your behalf. But friends, I'm glad today that because of the grace of God and the mercy of God and the long-suffering of God and the compassion of God, that there will be times in all of our lives when we're not the victim, we were the proactive ones. We put ourselves at Burrow Bridge. We put ourselves in the belly of the fish. And then we have to meekly cry through the thick skin of that fish. Lord, this was a bad idea, and I'm, I'm as wrong as I could be. And God says, yeah, I hear you. I know. And, and I'll help you. I like how the psalmist said it in Psalm 40. He said, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me, and he heard my cry, and, and he lifted me up. He said he brought me out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock, and he established 
my goings. Listen, what I want you to notice about Jonah is his affliction led him to reopen the lines of communication with God. Friends, hear me. Many times it's those stressful seasons, those moments of affliction that can be the catalyst to great breakthrough and renewal in your life in terms of restoring your closeness with God. Listen, listen to what the psalm, psalmist tells us, Psalm 15, verse 15. He said, and call upon me in the day of trouble. I'll deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. Listen, as he elaborates on the role of, of affliction in his life, he said, it's good for me that I've been afflicted. It's good for me that I went through that. It's good for me that my heart was broken. It's good for me that I lost that benefit and lost that job and was separated from this situation. He said, that affliction that came in my life, it was good for me because it was the affliction that allowed me to learn more about God. Affliction. Now, friends, I'm not recommending anybody willfully walk into hardship by rebelling against God. But I am saying today that affliction can be used of God to draw us close to Him. So we continue looking down in our text, there's another element that kind of just bubbles to the surface. I want you to see that He learned to personalize the Bible. Now I need to explain that expression. Maybe you can think of a better way to explain it. I know what I mean, and I'll try to make sense of that statement. But, but as I look to these verses, specifically verses 3 through, through 8 and 9, uh, we're reading words from Jonah. This is, this is Jonah here speaking. And he's doing a, a perfectly uh, a good job at explaining his situation, his emotions, what he's going through. He's sharing his heart. Jonah here, in these verses, about three to nine, he's sharing his heart, but I want you to hear this. They aren't his words. I mean, they didn't originate in his mind. What we find in these verses is Jonah basically is picking a collection of, of, of thoughts and prayers from the book of Psalms. And in this passage, what we find Jonah doing is not thinking in his mind or in his heart what it is he would like to express or what it is he wants to tell God. He's doing what all Jewish people did in that day and what Jewish people do in this day. He went to the book of Psalms. And the book of Psalms was for Jewish people in that time as it is in this time. It was a prayer book and it was a song book and it was a praise book. And at this time of difficulty in Jonah's life, he went back to words that he already had committed to memory and somehow they made their way from his mind but now they were sinking deep within his heart and at this moment of adversity of affliction in his life, he began to make the Bible his own not just a collection of facts or information, it was his it's been said the entire Bible speaks to us but the Psalms speak for us there's nothing you'll go through in your entire life where you can't find the pathos of that matched up in the book of Psalms. You won't go through a time of hurt or loss or joy or, or, or gain and, 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 and uh, find lack of words in the book of Psalms to express what's in your heart. And so sometimes spending a few days in the belly of the fish will help us to see the value in God's inspired and preserved word to us. Several weeks ago, July 4th weekend, our church had All-American Sunday. We had a great day, and I always enjoy that weekend. And on that Sunday, if you were here, you'll remember we had a guest speaker. Pastor Rob Watkins was with us, and his wife Terry also was with him. And, and Rob preached a, a message that day. As Rob preached, he shared with us how his son Timothy in 2005 gave his life on a battlefield in Iraq. And if you'll remember, as he shared his story, he was incredibly honest 
not just as a father, but as a Christian who'd known the Lord for many years, even a pastor, of how deeply that hurt and some of the questions that arise in his, in his heart and life. And I don't know about you, but I listened very carefully. Very carefully, out of respect for him and what he'd been through, and out of the realization that none of us slip through life without going through things. And he began to share how he went through that season. And, and here's what he said that got my attention so much so I wrote it down and read it again later. He said, God got us through that time through his word. And then he made this statement. He said, God gave us each a verse that helped us during that time we dealt with the loss of our son. Now I want you to see what Rob's verse was. This is what he said. And if you were here, you remember he said, this is the verse God gave me. John eleven twenty five. 25. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Can you see how a man of faith who has a son, of, uh, a son who's a man of faith also who dies, can you see how the words, though he were dead, yet shall he live, might comfort his heart? And so here's this man sharing with us, God gave me this verse. What did he mean by that? He meant he could go to the Word of God and rather than just finding a, an historical accounting of a true life event that took place in the life of Jesus Christ, he said, you know something? The Word of God is my lifeblood and the truths contained therein touch my heart. He shared the verse that touched his wife's heart, Isaiah 26 3, thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. I can't imagine what the mind of a mother would be like upon getting news like that, but she discovered along the way that she could have peace as her mind was stayed on the Lord because he trusted in thee. God gave them those verses. Well, somebody could say, what do you mean God gave them those verses? Didn't God give everybody those verses? And I would say, well, yeah, in a sense. But what happened in their moment of difficulty, in their moment of affliction, they received those verses as their own. It became personal. I remember a short time before we started our church here, I was excited and afraid and all the things you can imagine. And, and I went away to a special meeting and I had to stay in a hotel for a night, maybe two weeks before uh, we started. I hated to even be away, but I had to be at this meeting and... And, and I remember waking up in that hotel and opening my Bible and just, there was so much going on in my heart that I just, I mean, I had an upset stomach even just thinking about everything. And I'm, I'm sure you've been there at different moments in your life. And I, and I opened my Bible that day and, and uh, I, I read this verse, Nehemiah 2 and verse 12. I rose in the night and some few men with me, neither told I any man what God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. This is Nehemiah's accounting. But when I read that verse that day, I underlined in my Bible, and I still have the Bible I was having devotions from that morning with, with these words underlined. And in the margin of my Bible, I wrote the words, start a church. What God had put in my heart. Now that verse was not written just to me, but that day it might as well have been. That was the verse I needed in that moment. And, and I felt that the Lord was encouraging me through that. Friends, there's nothing better to do to help yourself before during and after trials then get in the word of God I'm all for hearing preaching in fact I believe the New Testament's crystal clear Christians belong in church each Sunday we're here to honor the Lord and worship him we're here to study the word and I think there's great value in coming to church but I'm saying it's not near enough Bible 
I'm a big fan of coming on Sunday night, and, and we've got our small groups that meet at different times throughout the week. I, I, I'm a big fan of all of those things. What I'm really getting at is this. There's no replacing time with you and nobody else in all of the world and, and a Bible and opening it up on a daily basis and reading Scripture and saying, God, I'm heading into some things today. I don't even know what is there. Would you please help me today as I read your word to find what it is I'm going to need in this moment? good to get in the book until the book gets in you. And I think he learned to personalize the Bible. He, he prayed the Psalms. There's another thought before us here. These final verses 9 and 10, we see that he learned that God is always faithful. I'm glad God's always faithful. Say amen. Now let's look at the end of, of, of this text, verses 9 and 10. He said, but I'll sacrifice unto thee with a voice of thanksgiving. Okay? Now, this is a guy inside a fish. And he says this, I will pay that that I have vowed. Now, this is a man who'd given his life to the Lord. And then taken it back from the Lord. God is always faithful, but we're not always faithful. And here was a man who could say, well, I remember when I was a boy, I gave my life to the Lord, and that was great. And I surrendered to him. I told God I'd do whatever he wanted. But there apparently had been occasions since that time where that which he had vowed had been taken back from God. He was unfaithful. He was disobedient. He was rebellious. And he had made a decision to turn away from a life of faithfulness to God and in this difficult moment in his life, he's saying, yeah, but now I'm thinking that was a bad idea. He was recommitting or rededicating himself to the Lord. L listen to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. The Bible says this, faithful is he, that's speaking about God. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. God is faithful. Let me tell you something about God. He never one time had to come forward in front of a church after a service to rededicate or recommit himself. He is forever and always faithful. Faithful. But I think we would all confess that there are times in our lives, many times in our lives, where frankly we needed to say, Lord, you know what? I knew better than I did here, and I got off track over there, and my pace has not been great, or maybe I've just stopped along the way, and we've got to come to the Lord. Think of that. Jonah had to make a decision here. I'm going to return to a life of faithfulness. The final words in verse 9 are, are words that we need to get a hold of. Jonah said this, salvation is of the Lord. Now, did God save Jonah in this situation? Well, he did. He, he saved him from strange things, and he used strange methodology first. In Jonah 1 and verse 17, the Bible makes it clear for us that, that God saved him from drowning. He said, now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. If he'd have been under the water and not in the fish, he'd have been in trouble. So God said, listen, you've got a unique situation here. I've got a unique solution. I'm going to swallow you in a fish. That sounds strange, but God has a prerogative to do it any way he wants. Secondly, we know that God saved him uh, in, in, a, in a really, really strange way from the fish. In verse 10, the Bible says this, The Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon dry land. I'm thinking, are you kidding me, Lord? 
hey, I mean, the fish is weird enough. Now you're making the fish puke me up. I mean, this is, this is going from weird to exceedingly weird. And, and this is where he is. And uh, so God saved Jonah from drowning. He saved him from the fish by making the fish vomit him up. But Jonah needed to be reminded that spiritual salvation is of the Lord Jonah didn't want those pagans in Nineveh to know the truth for fear they would accept the truth. But he had to learn that everybody comes to God the same way. And God is the prime mover in salvation. By that I mean we would not be aware of our need for God were it not for the work of God to begin with. Regeneration or new birth spiritually speaking is a product of the work of the Holy Spirit of God and and so we know that it's God that, that's calling. We read that verse a moment ago. He calls, and he'll be faithful to do it. I want you to know today that God has not stopped calling in our day. He's still calling. And so not only is God the prime mover in salvation, in other words, we would not be aware of sin or our need for God were it not for his work in our lives. God is the saver. It's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but it's by His mercy. And so we know that God is the one that actually does the saving. And, and, and so as Jonah's learning that God is always faithful, he came to the conclusion that, man, salvation is from the Lord exclusively. I'm thankful for that. Listen, I'm saying today, if you're here and you don't know that you have a relationship with God that brings with it the forgiveness of sins, the assurance of a home in heaven, the joy of having Him in your life, the great news is this, that one who is faithful, that calleth you, who also will do it, he's still calling. He's still calling. Listen, maybe today you're here and you're a Christian and you are more like Jonah than you ever thought about prior to this service. Guess what? He's still calling. I, I like how clear, crystal clear Jesus is. Listen to his words in the book of the Revelation. He said, and the spirit and the bride say, come. Come on. And let him that heareth say, come. Let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. You see, Jesus Christ, God the Son, is a Savior who invites, he, he compels us to come to him. Listen to what he said in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, he said, come here, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. You can trust God to save you from anything you'll ever face, and you can trust God to give you eternal life when you turn to Him in faith. Now, the next chapter in Jonah's life that we'll get to in a couple years, right? He hits the beach, cleans up a little, evidently, right? He would have needed some kind of help. Three days inside a fish, and he came out by way of vomit, so he's on the beach. He gets cleaned up. He goes to Nineveh. He preaches the single greatest evangelistic meeting in the history of the world. I mean, in the history of the world, there's been no greater turning to God in a single event as what we find experienced in life of Jonah. Aren't you glad God can use imperfect people to do things that are exceedingly abundant beyond what we could think? That's what happened. I'm glad God can even use the hardships of our lives for his purpose. But there is a qualifier here. Jonah had to be willing to learn. He had to be willing to learn. He learned that while in the belly of the fish that God was there with him and, and he learned that God hears and answers our prayers and that his word provides direction and comfort and that he can take us from one situation that looks bleak into another that is blessed. Jonah had to learn some things and we can learn 
from Jonah. So I wonder today, in the continuum of this narrative, where are you? Where are you? In this whole story, where are you? You see, there was a time in Jonah's life where it was all just something that was in his mind. He's entertaining all this. He's bitter about some things. He's, he's unforgiving. He's, he's just kind of got the disease of stinking thinking. He's just stuck up here and things aren't right and that's unfair and that's unjust and, and he begins to uh, believe the lie. God doesn't really understand and maybe he doesn't even care and, and uh, there would have been a good time to turn around when it was just in his mind but he didn't turn around at that point. He, he evidently started to make his way down to Joppa and then he actually got on the boat and then he left the dock and the boat set sail and then the storm came and, and it took him all the way to a time in his life where he was in the belly of the fish. And what I want you to understand today is this, there was any point along that way where he could have turned around. And so maybe you're here today and for you it's just right now you're thinking, you know what pastor, I'm discouraged, I'm ticked off, some people have irritated me. And maybe you'd say, you know something? I'm not where I need to be, just, just in my mind right now. I just, I need to really give some things over to the Lord. Because wrong thinking always precedes wrong actions. That's how that works. Maybe you're here and you're not in the belly of a fish. You've just, you're on a slow drift in life. You've just kind of been cutting people out that maybe uh, prohibit you from from doing things that you know are wrong and they're going to say something. So you're cutting them out and maybe ignoring this one and distancing yourself over here. And, and you're not in the fish, you know, come on, relax. You're, you're, you're being a little paranoid, Pastor. You're not in the fish, but, but you're kind of on a slow ride in the wrong direction. Drifting. Left. You're making your way down to the dock and you're not even on the boat, just kind of hanging out down there. And it's nice to hang out around the dock. And, and so you're just kind of here, but you're nowhere where you need to be. God is saying, look, this, this would be a great time to turn around. Maybe you're in the midst of a storm, or listen, maybe you are in the, in the belly of the fish. You're at Burrow Ridge. And uh, it'd be a great time to say, you know something? I've wandered very far from where my Heavenly Father had me. Very far. And as the great hymn of the faith says, now I'm coming home. It doesn't matter if it's just, we're just wrong about things in our minds or if we're here, the same response is in order. And God's response to that decision on our part is always right here. You can turn at any point. At any point. I've learned that success in the Christian life, and I, I can't say I'm always where I need to be, that, please don't get me wrong, that's not what I'm saying. But I've learned when I am doing well in my Christian life, it's because I've learned to keep really small accounts with God. God, you know what, I just got mad, and that was, that was wrong. I know where bitterness and all that can lead. That, that's better than getting 14 years down the road and looking back and saying, God, it all went back to when Aunt Bertha was mean to me and I got mad and got off track. And I, it's just better right then in that moment to say, you know something, I'm going to let that go. I'm going to forgive that person. I'm not even going to think about that anymore. That's none of my business right there. And, and, and just a decision on a moment-by-moment -moment basis in life to just keep things right with people. Don't let them pile up. And maybe today's the time where you're going to have to just kind of push some stuff away and say, Lord... 
I can't honestly blame anybody that I'm in this fish right now. But it's where I am. And I need you. And he'll cause something to puke you out in life. And it'll be a new beginning. He's always faithful. We're always not. There was one person in the story who had to make things right and dedicate himself to his journey. He said, God, I'm going to do what I already told you once I was going to do. And maybe today, one way or another, that's, that's what you need to do today. And it's not me telling you. There's something on the inside saying, wow. I don't know, me and Jonah had so much going on. And same, and similar, you know, same way. Now, maybe you're here today, and Jonah, all, all this was based in his life on the fact that he had, a, he had a relationship with God. Not a perfect person. None of us are. But uh, there was a relationship. In fact, when God told him to go to Nineveh, he heard God because there was faith there. And and, and maybe you're here today, and the fact of the matter is you're just not sure if you have that relationship with God. In fact, if you were, if you were asked the question in this way, do you know for sure if you died today that you'd spend eternity in heaven? Your gut response would be, ah, I don't think so, or I have no idea. And the great news is you can know. You can absolutely know. The Bible tells us that. I remember one day asking someone if they knew that for sure, and they said to me, you can't know. Nobody can know. And friends, I've got to tell you, the Bible says these things are written that we can know that we have eternal life. According to the word of God, you can know. And Jesus says we can, we can know that we have life and abundant eternal life. And maybe you're here today and the life of Jonah really can teach you on the importance of making sure you have a relationship established with God. Our Father,